Joanne Wilson, and this is Positively Gotham Gal. Real, honest, and meaningful conversations with women entrepreneurs about their approach to life, business, and everything in between. Joy Howard is the founder of Early Majority, a new women-led, membership-based outdoor brand and community. Joy's career has spanned different industries, from being a full-time musician in the indie rock band Sealy to marketing and working for iconic brands such as Coca-Cola, Converse, Patagonia, and Sonos. As always, the dots always connect. And during the pandemic, Joy turned towards entrepreneurship and launched Early Majority, an environmentally conscious membership-based outdoor brand with a crypto and NFT angle. This podcast highlights her unique entrepreneurial journey from music to marketing and community and her experience as a female founder. All right, so nice to meet you. Oh my gosh, likewise. Okay, and I just want to note, most importantly, I listened to Seely this morning. <laughs> oh my God, it's coming back. You know what, someone just started a fan club for us. Which is really? Great. Yeah, I think, I think it's just like the whole late 90s vibe is like ascendant, you know? And so people are into shoegaze. And what album did you listen to? Do you remember? Oh my God, That's it's okay. the one with the pink and yellow cover. Yes, okay, that was the very first one. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, first of all, your career is so crazy. <laughs> so is yours. You're right, we're, we're well suited for each I mean, you grew up in Georgia, you went to school in Atlanta, then you went to UNC, then you were a research analyst, you were a fellow in Cape Town, okay? Which That's is true. Amazing. Then you decided to become like, for quite a while, you were like a major musician in a band called Sealy <laughs> and toured and did the whole kit and caboodle. You're the second person I've met who did that and then decided when they got to a point in their career, they're like, okay, this isn't forever. And then you went on to work for Johnson & Johnson. I did. Okay, that is so random. Coca-Cola, <laughs> which is shocking that you went to all these big companies, yeah, Converse, All-Star, Nike, Patagonia, and then lastly, Sonos? Yeah, I was the CMO at Sonos. Okay, and then you decided, you know, what the fuck, I haven't been an entrepreneur, so I'll start a company? Yeah, that's right. Well, I was the CMO at Lyft right after Sonos, and I was there for the IPO, which was really like the opportunity to take a company public as a CMO was incredible. I'm sure. And then I got the entrepreneurial itch, honestly, after Sonos. And so, you know, I think after Lyft, I went earlier stage and I kind of have just been kind of like plucking up my courage basically ever since Sonos to do what I'm doing right now. It's amazing. And where do you live? I live in Paris. So this is like, this is our dining room and this is like kind of like you know, HQ for early majority too. Right, and no air conditioning, I'm assuming. No, 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 the windows are open, the fans are on. It's like, yeah. Were you in Paris, what around us month? I'm in the ninth, Nivium. Very, very nice. So we are in the sixth and we are just moved to the 11th. Okay. But, but I'm not there full time. Yeah, well, I'm just loving being here. I feel like it's been the, like, I've had a lot of luck in my life, but landing here six months before the pandemic with a teenager was like very lucky. Yeah. Oh, God, yes, for sure. Yeah, she's thriving, and I'm so grateful that we've, that we've been here. That's so great. And you still have that southern twang, which is hilarious. <laughs> well, I do very well in the heat, too, you know. It's like, it really, 
nothing you start it, nothing, right it comes back to you i think i i don't want to admit to being competitive but i think i am and so when you think you are <laughs> when it's really hot i'm like i i'm winning you know like i was born for this i was you know was groomed for this like i'm thriving in this heat that's amazing. So you started early majority. And what I think is interesting about it is multiple things. First of all, I got the products. The products are killer. Um, I mean, they're really, they're really beautiful and they're really unique. And when I brought the one jacket that was a little small on the boobs <laughs> down to the beach or somewhere one night it was raining and four people were like, what is that? Oh, I love hearing that. That's great. Right? It's That's like, great. it's a very cool cutting edge and it's got it's almost simple with an edge which is what i really like well there's a very deep story behind it if you so want let's to hear it for okay. sure all right cool so so okay so you, we talked about me growing up in the south so so the prop so i'm great in the heat but the problem as you know well it gets pretty cold in maryland too so you probably grew up like learning how to dress for cold weather but i i never grew up learning that and so i kind of had to learn how to dress for cold weather as an adult and so it's one of those things where I've like always looked at it as a, as a little bit of an outsider, like, oh, you do that and you do that. But the windbreaker is a really um, important piece to me because I learned about that importance of a windbreaker from Yvonne Chouinard, who hired me at Patagonia. And he had this weird habit, basically, of he had this jacket called a Houdini. And that was kind of like, you know, I think whenever you build a product, you're like, okay, what's the action standard? You know, what's the one that we have to beat? And so he had this product called a Houdini, which is like, it folds into a little bag and it was created for Alpinists. It's basically like a very minimalist windbreaker. And it was a part of every kit that he wore. It d didn't matter what you did with him. You know, if we, he taught me how to fly fish, we went fly fishing. And that's the first time I, I saw him put it underneath his garments. And I was like, wow, that's weird. That's a jacket you're putting it underneath. And he's like, yeah, it's like the perfect, you know, insulation layer. And so I learned about this garment, which basically you can put under things, you can put it over things, but if you put it under things, it kind of like traps the heat a little bit. And, you know, you can pull the hood up, like if you're biking and it'll keep your head warm without having to wear a hat, because I don't know if you have this experience, but I just feel like almost every hat looks ridiculous on me, you know, also messes up my hair. So I could just put this hood up, like if I'm biking or whatever, and it'll keep my head warm. I don't need to carry a scarf. You know, and then when I don't need it, I can just pack it into its little pocket and put it in the bag. So we spent a lot of time on that product. I'm super, super proud of it. It's great. I mean, you could wear it skiing. You could wear it yeah, anywhere. You could. You, yeah, you could. You could wear it skiing for sure. I mean, all the products are great, and they're basically um, for men or women. It doesn't make any yeah, difference. They are. I mean, they're all unisex. They're, you know, it's very weird to develop something from the woman's point of view first. Like it's, I don't think we realize how rarely we see outdoor products that are like that. So there are some that are like less good on men, but, but half of our sales are to men. So, you know, they seem to be liking it too, which is cool. Which is great. And are you only going to be doing direct to consumer or are you going to create stores around this? Like what's the end all be all as you start to grow this brand? Well, I think people want to try stuff on and I actually think it's a great way to reduce waste for people to actually like see what it feels like. So eventually I'd love to, to be out in the world where people can actually try it on. And I think if someone invited us into their space where they already have people, then we would go. But we just want to be really thoughtful about where we show up. And so far, what we've done is events where we ask people in advance, like, what do you want to try? 
And, you know, we just show up to the event with gear and people, you know, do the activity and the gear. And that's, that's been a great kind of like scrappy way for us to let people try it. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, we're opening up a store, so maybe we'll have you come on in. Um, yeah. Um, so what the thing that really drove me, I mean, besides the fact that, um, you know, Toby and Simon are behind you, who I absolutely adore, and are really smart people. Um, I think Simon might be one of the smartest people I've ever met. Um, is that um, you created this thing thinking about all the things that we should be thinking about, right? Overproduction, reducing waste, you know, making it circular. Um, I know I am invested in a company called Evernew that actually does business with Patagonia. I mean, all the things that the public is going to save us from the government, right? So I love that. But what really I found interesting is that you were talking about an NFT angle. And I'm really curious, like, why you thought about, why you think that's important, and how is that going to integrate into retail? Okay, well, it's, I can tell you what I think will happen, and of course, it's probably going to be, like, weirder and more wonderful than what I'm going to tell you, because it's very hard to predict the future. But we had, also, the opportunity to start something from scratch is incredible. And I should say, I think Simon is a big reason why I was able to do this, because Trying to raise money for anything, as you know, in the consumer space is hard, in the apparel space is even harder. So almost nothing. Right. And so Simon, you know, he has a, his family was actually in the garment trade. So I think yeah. he's yeah, okay. So so he was not like so freaked out by it. You know, it was a lot of investors were like, oh, I don't, I'm not even gonna touch it for reasons, good reasons that we can also talk about. But um, we had so so if you're gonna start from something from scratch, you might as well like really try something new. And we had this radical idea that membership could resolve the tension between growth and sustainability. Like, we want to grow this business. We want it to have a huge impact. But we want to do it in a way that doesn't necessarily require proliferating product. And so it's just a very simple idea. Like, what if we grew by adding more members to the community instead of always adding more product and more stores in the you know, typical growth model that you're used to? So we were thinking about that, like what does a membership look like? What are the benefits? At the same time as I was getting into DAOs and, and Web3 communities. Mm -hmm. And it was just immediately apparent to me, okay, wow, these communities are actually building the tools that we could need to make this work. And so, you know, we joined a DAO accelerator called Seed Club, which I'm really, you know, thrilled to be a part of. And we really have taken our time thinking about, okay, how do we design this in a way that has the right incentives? Because actually, I think that blockchain technology holds huge potential for sustainability. You probably know a little bit about regenerative finance, but my yes. interest is actually around putting the garments themselves on the blockchain so that you can, first of all, authenticate the supply chain. Okay, that's nothing new, right? Because we, we did that 10 years ago at Patagonia with the Footprint Chronicles. Mm -hmm. we, we printed these little QR codes on the hang tags that allowed you to scan it and see, okay, where's the farm? You know, what's the factory? Stuff like that. So that's not really that new, but the new part I think is like, is authenticating that future chain of custody, right? So you can actually see what happens to something after it's been made. And there's no transparency about that in the industry. Like there's a really, you know, company that I admire that's so innovative in material science. They just published their impact report. You know, they, I could see that like immediately after launching something, they went to 60% markdowns. Okay, you don't do 60% markdowns unless you're like have way overproduced. 100%. Yeah. I mean, that, listen, I, I was originally in retail world. I mean, I was a buyer at Macy's. And so, you know, 
and I would sit in board meetings with consumer product businesses that are direct to consumer. And I remember once um, it was for Food 52 and it was Black Monday. And the big conversation is, what are we going to do? And I was like, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> People buy the products because it's great. Why do we have to create discounts? And by the way, those people that are coming in for the discounts, it's a whole group of people that are not loyal customers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Getting the right customers is so, so important. And, and, and honestly, you know, I think that, that the power of discount, also the danger of it, has really been drilled into me over time. You, you kind of like, you learn, like I, you know, I started my business career in consumer packaged goods. You know, you know what it's for in, in that space and, you know, there's ways that you use it. But I really think, you know, being at Sonos, like it was just like they were so they understood so deeply the importance of building a strong brand and they were and, and consumer electronics i mean talk about a race to the bottom oh god i mean and that's talk about a business that's really hard to get money for i mean it is seriously yeah. low margin and high capital needs and so difficult to build too you know so hard to build yeah. And so difficult to forecast. And the cost of inventory is just crippling, as you know. Like, if you get it wrong, it's just, you know, game over. So so what are you doing and what are the benefits of being part of early majority? So, you know, the whole concept of this community around a product is just fascinating. Yeah. So the first thing is you own a stake in it. Okay, so when you buy the NFT, you become an owner, part owner of our community. Just like Bright Moments or any other NFT organizations where they're actually, you're minting something, you're part of it, you own part of it. That's right, right out of the gate. And so the brands that I admire are brands that have become like very valuable over time and have found a way to kind of escape the fads and fashion cycles, right? So I let marketing for Converse All-Star, absolute iconic brand, you know, for over 100 years. Patagonia, like all these brands have found a way to kind of continue to grow in value, but who makes a brand valuable? The people that wear the brand, the things that you do in the brand, like that's actually what makes it really valuable. And there's never been a way for those people, whether they're rock stars or famous climbers, to really have a part in the upside over time and have ownership over that. Like a hundred percent, hence the blockchain. That's right. That's right. And so that's like, to me, that's the, that's the first thing. But, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there like trying to get you to buy their tokens. And so the fact that it's going to have real utility from the start really matters. So when you buy our token, you will also get a garment and, you know, we're going to have some fun with it. So, you know, five people will get one of everything that we make forever, you know, and subgroups of people will get one garment and everybody will get this bum bag, which is also what we call in the States a fanny pack. And it's, it's a, we started making them like, it's an attachment to the shell, which is another one of our like marquee products. Right, I saw that. And when we put that out, everybody started asking us like, well, I love that bag on the front. Like, do you just sell that? And you know, where can I get that? And so that's kind of how we had the idea to say, okay, everybody that joins and mints a token will get a bum bag. And we're gonna make that with the community. So we didn't feel like anybody would buy in until they could believe that we would actually be able to make something. So that's why we kind of made the first line. But for this one, if you buy in, you'll get to see the process like from beginning to end, and then you'll have your own. And so, so basically you get ownership in the community. Mm -hmm. You get first access to everything that we make, which in the future we hope to make just for the community. You get member pricing. 
And ultimately, our goal is to only make for members, but we're not, we don't have the scale for that yet, right? Or the factory or whatever. You know, we have to make in these big factories that have big minimums. So for now, members and non-members can buy it. You get exclusive product. We've been, um, when we first had the idea for the business, we started publishing a Substack newsletter. And all of that content you get access to, it's now behind the firewall on the Early Majority website. And so the content will just be for members too. And also the events that we do, which we, some we do ourselves and some we do with partner DAOs, you get access to those events. So, so that's kind of like the suite of things that you get as a member just out of the gate. That's really interesting. I mean, I don't know of anyone else that is doing that and using actual physical merchandise that you wear on your body to take advantage of the next generation of the web. Well, th there's another aspect that's very important to this, which is our badge system. So when you become a member, you get a member badge and that goes onto the garment. And you know from your windbreaker, you have those little magnets there. So when you get your member badge, you can just put it on there. That the, the way to grow in Web3, I think, is through a network of communities. And so the communities that are partnering with us in the very beginning, we'll make badges for them too. We've also made them for outdoor communities. And so this is really the growth strategy is that our, it, our garments are a platform for our brand, but they're also a platform for partner communities who want to represent their own communities that they've bought into or that they belong to. Just like the Girl Scouts. Oh, I love the Girl Scouts. I was such a, I mean, you could, of course, I was a brownie. I was a, I was a brownie. Yep. <laughs> I was a brownie. My mother ran the brownies. I was very into it. Um, and, you know, I'm a big fan of believing that all the dots connect. And so just take us through, like, why you stopped playing music and went into <laughs> corporate America. But what's cool is you've done all these different things and in many ways is preparing you perfectly to launch this business, um, you know, with the insight of what's happening in the next generation. Oh, 100%. So, so, okay, so let's just start with Cape Town because you mentioned it and not very many people do. So I was in Cape Town at a really remarkable time. It was the beginning of the end of apartheid. It was like 1992. And it was- That's, so 1992, right. So we went there the first time, the 10 year anniversary of the ending of apartheid. Yeah. We, I felt that was like momentous. And yeah. what was fascinating, just as a side note, is we stayed at a bunch of new places on our journey that literally had gotten Wi-Fi two days before and it was so shitty because it took them so long to get the country to give them this that there was the year there was the tsunami in Thailand and we didn't even know about it till four days after it happened because my husband and son happened to walk into a uh, like a sports place and um, they came out. They're like, you can't believe what just happened. Because we were like, this is like dial up from 1988. You know, <laughs> and so, um, you know, it's come a long way since then. It has. And actually, I mean, to be there at that time was just so inspiring, so hopeful. You know, people were coming back from exile. I was studying literature with Mkontoe Zizwe fighters who had been, you know, exiled and were coming back now to do, you know, graduate degrees in literature or write poetry. And it was just like this incredibly, you know, fertile, creative culture. And that's kind of like where I got the bug to be an artist and, and to just 
continue to explore that, but always very driven by this idea of social change and the fact that it is possible, you know, like, I think we're in very dark times right now, but one of the benefits of being my age is like, I've seen incredibly wonderful things happen. The Berlin Wall came down, you know, that was inconceivable when I was a teenager. Apartheid ended. So, you know, I think that there is a huge spirit of optimism in the brand and what we're doing. And it's because, yep, times have been hard and they've been hard before, but you know, we've found a way through it. And so that was a really instrumental moment for me being there. And then I came back and I started, to work on my PhD. I was actually there, it was a stepping part of my PhD and I was working on it. And I was in a band on the side and you know, the people in the band were quite serious about it. And I was like, look, if you're really serious about this, we should try to get signed. You know, it was like labels were, there was sort of, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but there was this post Nirvana indie major label gold rush, right? So like after Nirvana, all the majors thought, wow, we can sign these indie bands and we could, you know, they could be huge. And so, we signed to a really, our, our just dream label signed us. And it was like, it was a fantasy, you know. We, Who signed you? It was a label called Too Pure okay. that got bought by American, which is Rick Rubin's label that got bought by Def Jam. You know, they were all being consolidated, got bought by Warner. But Too Pure, you know, we had a band practice and I said, okay, bring your favorite CDs. And I got the addresses off the back of the CDs of the record labels and I put my little cassette tape in the mail and I sent it to the it says record labels, you know, just... No, I mean, I know because my sister, my sister was at Sony way, way back in the day when Death Jam and, you know, it was just a very, very different world. And of course, they have completely screwed the music industry, all the people in the music industry. Well, that's what I'm getting to basically is like in 2000, which is the year I went back to business school everything was falling apart. I mean, the bottom fell out of the music industry and, and revenue from recorded music dropped by half. Like imagine an industry that that's, that's that important to our culture just getting cut in half and all the carnage from it, you know? So I decided to apply to business school because, you know, we were doing as just, it was our dream come true, everything that we were doing. And it was so difficult to make it. To make money. No, no I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I mean, now you just have to tour. That's the only way to make money basically. And then you do wonder if they take the industry, although they're so, the people at the top of the music industry are 100% to blame for what happened to the industry. But if you put all the music on a blockchain and change everything, you have to wonder to yourself, will there ever be a Taylor Swift again? Will there ever be a Rolling Stone again if it becomes much more equalitative in regards to everyone being part of all these different musicians? Well, well, that's the thing that allowed me to see the potential is is, you know, I'm old enough to remember when Prince changed his name and why he did that, you know? And the, and so that idea of like, own your masters, right? Yes. I, you know, I got that from Prince. I got that from being in the music industry. And when I first heard people like Manifold, you know, talk, and, and when I first saw artists, you know, getting into NFTs, I understood immediately why they were doing it and the potential of it. Because I also, you know, had this career in business where I was a marketer and kind of had a ringside seat to the explosion that was Web2 and saw how creative culture was, you know, pretty much just free labor for big tech platforms. And so seeing all that happen, like I, the light bulbs went off immediately for me in Web3 because I do think that artists should have a desire to own their art and to benefit from it forever, whether it's visual art, whether it's music, whatever it is. So. 
So that, you know, that was basically like the music phase, and that's, that's why I see the potential in what's happening right now. But between now and being in a band, I did go to business school. I went to UNC Chapel Hill. I went to the, one of the very first programs, first MBAs in sustainable enterprise. There were only two in the country at the time. And there was a professor at Chapel Hill who'd wrote, written this very influential article called Beyond Greening, because at the time it was just CSR, you know? And, and he had this idea that to really have an impact through business, you had, to, you had to crack a business model at the heart of it. Like there had to, you know, you know the power of a business that's actually working and thriving and all, you know, all the wonderful things that can come from that. His idea was it's not just about like greening things up. It's about like creating new businesses like at the very heart of what the problems are. A hundred percent. Right. Which so, is, you know, an interesting thing in general as new businesses, of old businesses or old or nonprofit organizations that are being led by people that are quite frankly are my age. OK. And they don't understand the, the importance and the value of making social media your platform to talk to your consumer, talk to your community grow your business, um, get engagement. I mean, they just don't get it. And you come out of marketing where marketing, you know, in 1990 was a totally different role than it oh, is yeah. today. I mean, today yeah. it's about algorithms and engagement and it's completely different. Well, a lot of it's, a lot of it's automated, you know, <laughs> I mean, a lot of it is it's like you don't really need humans for anymore, which is crazy, but the, the part that you can't automate is the creative spirit. 100%, and, and which is why creatives is the future. That's creatives right. are the ones that are going to be making decisions in, in large corporations because they see what's happening down the line. Where are you getting your materials for from to make these products? So all of the waterproof garments that we get are from, an, or from a company called Pertex, and all of that is recycled plastic. So Fabulous. everything that's waterproof is recycled plastic. Uh, we also get cotton from a mill in Italy. So the denim that we have is from a really incredible old family mill in Italy that grows all their cotton organically and makes this like very sustainably sourced denim. Um, and most of it is actually the, you know, the recycled plastic stuff that we get from Pertex. Like that's the vast majority of it. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, very much a Web 3.0 business, which is... I have yet to see in this particular industry. I mean, what do you think the vision is for the future of fashion? I mean, particularly mm. is, you know, everyone is waking up to climate change. Everyone is waking up to what destruction uh, fashion has done to the industry. Then it changed to fast fashion. You know, then it changed to all of these brands, Prada, Gucci, all of them, they've all gone on their own. They're all pulling out of department stores. And now they're on every corner in every high-end city in the country. And now they're in Meta, which makes no sense to me whatsoever because their customer's not there. And I feel there's so much change happening that they are, I think one of them or many of them are gonna go under and there's going to be this shift of brand new brands that are pulling out. Like everything that's been around for hundreds of years is just going to change. I think it is too. And, and so like the state of it all right now is you have high end luxury doing fine, right? Like they won't even feel the recession. And then everything else that's interesting is this kind of like supply chain innovation, right? Like Zara or Shein or whatever. 
but people actually, like not many, you know, only a very few people can afford luxury. And even some people who can't afford it don't want to signal that, right? Because there's, there's only two problems that matter in the world, climate change and economic inequality. hundred percent. Right? That's it. So I think there are a lot of people who care about economic inequality that don't want to walk around signaling that they're part of the 1% and good for them, right? They should be, you know, doing other stuff. So, so what's going to, so, so there's this huge gap in between the companies that are pursuing supply chain innovation, that's not really what customers want, right? Like people are concerned about these issues and so they want brands to actually address them. So I think the future is in like tackling those issues head on and not saying like, okay, well, this is where the money is. We've got to play in luxury. We've got to play in supply chain innovation. There will be supply chain innovation, but it has to be in a way that customers really care about. And to me, that's really where the blockchain comes in. So, you know, the, like one of the huge growth spots in, in, the, in fashion in general has been in circularity. And when you look at companies like The Real Real or Vestiaire Collective, you know, hugely inspiring, but, and Rent the Runway too. Right, well, Rent the Runway, I've always had issues with, but regardless, is The Real Real and all of these type of companies, now they have like a massive surplus of stuff and they don't even know what to do with it. Wow, I wasn't aware of that. I was aware that they had a lot of inefficiency in their own kind of operations and supply chain. Well, that they have too, but there's an overage of this stuff, right? And, mm. you know, you think about it. I mean, I, I mean, we're just making too much. We're making too much. I mean, I, there's a great quote in Vanity Fair. I've said this for like years and years and years ago, and they interviewed um, uh, um, Bill Blass. No, it's Oscar De La Rente. And the last page, you know, where they ask these people all these random questions, like, what would you want to come back as? Or what's your favorite place? And the last question is, what's, the fav what's your most favorite thing you've ever purchased? And he said, well, of course, the last thing I purchased. <laughs> wow. And, you know, that is how we have all been trained, right? Oh, yeah. my God, I need retail therapy. It's going to make me feel so good. And... You know, I'll buy five shirts this year and I only wear that one all the time and the other two or three or four sit there. And so, you know, that is a shift but it, um, but, but see, that needs to be trained to, younger. Agree. And I think like people used to say that you couldn't change consumer behavior, right? Like it's just like that. It is what it is. But that's wrong. It I has agree. changed. Look, like look at the organic foods industry. Look at, you know, plant-based foods. Like all of these things, people poo-pooed them and where they were like, you know, nobody's going to care about it. People say they care, but they don't really care. And I do think it's harder when it comes to apparel mm -hmm. because the way that we look is something that we care about so much, you know, but the reason that we care about it is because it signals to each other, right? So like what I'm wearing is going to communicate to you a lot about who I am and either it's going to attract you to me or it's going to repel you from me. And that's exactly, you know, why I'm doing it. But as, as people's values shift, so too what they want to say with their clothing is also going to shift. It has to. It just has to. I mean, because I do think that at younger ages, they're teaching more about the things are climate, inequality, um, you know, uh, my space is my space. Um, I mean, someone told me this story yesterday of a little three-year-old girl you know, and like you go to a party and, you know, these people, they don't know. And like, oh, this is my daughter. And someone gets down and is like, you know, touch it. Like, you're so cute. Right. And she says, this is my body. <laughs> and I, I mean, it's so stuck with me because that's what they're being taught. Just like 
you don't smoke cigarettes, it's terrible for you, right? I mean, all these things that are like being taught at a, a level that becomes ingrained in how you want to buy your products and be part of what's in your closet and that's an extension of you, which really started at the beginning of Web, um, Web 2.0, right? Where all these consumer products were being made and they were brand new and it is an extension of who you are. If you were gonna buy those pickles with that fancy jar that was brand new and someone came to your house and opened your fridge and saw that pickle, that made a impact on who you were. Yeah, you're like, I know what the good life is. Right. You know, and I wanna be with you because you've got great taste and you know, I like hanging out with you and I'm gonna get great pickles when I come to your house. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So how many people are in the, um, are part of early majority at this point? Seven. Okay, I must be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I thought you meant employees. No, 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 no. Well, employees, <laughs> I'm gonna assume you're gonna be lean in. Yeah, we're pretty lean, yeah. We're very lean. But um, we have several thousand subscribers. We have several hundred members. And we also have, um, I think, almost 300 people in our Discord, which is great. So I feel like, you know, we're going we're gonna to announce our mint date in a couple weeks. And we've, like, really taken our time building our, you know, people who want to follow us, people who want to be members, just sort of, like, building that up over time. And the next month is going to be about deepening our partnerships with other Web3 communities. That's, can you say who any of those communities are? I could say the ones who we're working with so far. So, and and I would love input from you about whom else you know with whom else you think we should work. So, obviously, Seed Club we're a part of that. Right. Um, we are. We just announced that we're working with Dirt, which is I know Dirt. Okay, so, and wait till you see the Dirt badge. It's so so cool. We're the first badge that we're actually going to launch that before Dirt's is Choice Dow to raise money for reproductive freedom. Amazing. I've been a really active member in FWB. We've been doing events together and obviously we're going to partner with FWB. They've been so inspiring to me in terms of the community that they built and and we're talking to others. That's super cool. Well, I love what you're doing Thank and your your career is fabulous. <laughs> um, I mean, and I think you are particularly in you went through this journey and in many of these areas were very male dominated, right? But what you've done with your career, just like I've done with my career, I think we're ahead of the times. I think what we've done is what everyone's going to do. Well, you know, what's really meaningful to me about what you're saying, I just realized is that, you know, and I think this is a, a big difference in men and women is that a lot of the DAOs that have launched have launched on the promise of what they're going to do. And I think what you see in the workplace is men will often say, I should be promoted, I should have that job because of my potential. And it just never even occurred to us to go out there and launch a token independently of proving what we could do. <laughs> it never even occurred to right. me. And I didn't realize how different that was until right now when you said that. But like, I felt like I can't ask people to, despite my track record, you know, I can't ask people to buy into this until they actually can see you know, what we can do. So we have built all this as a proof point of, but it's just the beginning of what we want to do. Like there's right. so, so much more that I think we can do. And um, I think that's just a big difference in, in men and women. I, I agree. And, and you know, the in, I think in the tech space, and that would put you under 
that umbrella as well is founders have to understand that um, perfection is the enemy of the good. Right, you're never going to be perfect, and and as you're creating this community, what's amazing about it is you have all these people that give you feedback. I mean, so yeah. many times I've been in meetings, they're like, well, "We're going to do this," and it's like, "Have we asked our customers who know more than we do sitting around this table, even though we're looking at data? You know, what do they want? What are they looking for? I mean, that is that's who you should be talking to. They're the people, like you were saying." that they don't get recognition just for wearing the product or being part of the product, and they should be. I, I think it's so hard for people to um, imagine what it is that you're going to make before you make it. I think like clothing is so saturated with brand and context that I think if you just describe to someone, okay, we're going to do this thing and it's going to be like this, whatever, you know, it's, it's, people can give you kind of a steer on like functional benefits but they have a hard time, I think, really appreciating something until they can touch it and feel it and kind of see how it fits into their life. So for sure, getting the garments out there and in people's hands and just seeing that, you know, the things like the crazy things that people like, you know, like we had our, our shell has this panel in the middle because it's meant to go over a puffer. Like you, you've spent time in New York and you get these down puffers and you go out in the snow and they're like soaking wet, right? <laughs> so we made a shell that will go over the puffer and it has like a panel in the front so that it can be really big in the winter. And in the summertime, you just zip the panel out and you have like a tighter fit, you know? And someone was like, the size of this is terrible. You know, it's way too big, you know? And they, they you know, they, they went in the Discord, they had like photos from the side and it was like, oh my God, I got the wrong size. And I was just like, okay, so how are we gonna get people to understand, you know, just take the middle panel out for the summer. Totally. And he was like, oh my God, it works, you know? But like. That kind of interaction, first of all, it's just so thrilling, but it's also you, you really learn, okay, this is, this is going to require some product marketing or how are we going to communicate this to people so that they get it, you know, immediately. So, yeah, it's been really cool. Yeah, that is. I mean, because, you know, when you're in your own, you know, private Idaho and your own echo chamber, oh. you know, when you step out of it and someone says something so basic and you're like, oh, my God. Well, of course. Duh. <laughs> right. Exactly. exactly. So what is the, uh, how did you come up with the early majority? Okay. Well, it, first of all, it sounds like a movement, which we like. It does. And it's so a way of kind of like repositioning something that might feel marginal as actually just early, which I really like. Cause a lot of, a lot of people who are in the brand have had that feeling of like, ah, I'm on the margins. And actually it just turns out you were first, you know, you were early. But it's also a little bit of a joke because you, I'm sure you've heard early majority a lot in the, in the tech space. And th this has been the thing that I was being asked to do over and over again. Like, please, you know, help my brand and help my business scale to the early majority. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to start the early majority. <laughs> it's going to be it, mine. <laughs> it's a great, great name. I mean, I, I always say that like what's going on in our country right now is we're being taken over by the minor majority oh gosh yeah the silent yeah well the minority you know yeah, not exactly. the majority and so That's i really right. I, I love the name early majority because it really makes you think about oh i'm going to be part of something it's going to be big. that's right that's right yeah no it's going to be great. early Good to be early. It's good to be big. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. All right so this has been great thank you so much for talking okay bye more about Early Majority, you can visit their website at earlymajority.com.
www.positivelygotham.com. And our next guest on Positively Gotham Gal will be Amy Chin, the founder of Calm Better Day, a CBD consultancy company that educates and guides clients towards unique custom CBD regimens. <music>